Hello there, I'm Jackie Stern and welcome to my Coaching Conversations podcast. My intention is to give people a sense of the coaching process through listening in on my conversations with others who've received coaching and also with experts in the field. You will hear how coaching has supported people to tap into the best of themselves as they manage their organisation, their business or their teams as they face into the future. And you'll also hear how coaching has enabled people to achieve a desired shift in their working life, whether that's pursuing their purpose, achieving promotion perhaps, starting a new business or a new project, or creating a better work-life balance. I've lined up some marvellous speakers to chat with me. Welcome to episode five of the Coaching Conversations podcast. I'm delighted to welcome James Farrell as this month's guest. James is an environmentalist who trained as a coach and who just over a year ago founded the Natural Coaching Company. Hi, James, and welcome to Coaching Conversations. Hello, Jackie. It's lovely, lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. James and I got to know each other through the Climate Coaching Alliance a couple of months back and have since discovered that we must surely have met in the past as we share a background in the environmental sector as well as being professional coaches. Serendipity, I think. (laughs) (laughs) There's something very reassuring, actually, Mm. for me about that. Yeah, we, we, we both ended up being involved in the same part of London I think I, I was a, a warden in Camley Street Natural Park which I think you had a hand in establishing which is um, an oasis in tucked in the middle of um, hectic hectic King's Cross and um, yeah I was a nature conservationist originally and then and then I worked for a long time in London actually more broadly around sort of sustainable cities but um, yeah it was great to found that connection with you in our joint past but a little hand, as in, was instrumental in getting it set up, James. Yeah. I'm rather proud of that piece of my legacy. We should be. And it's it's still going. Any listeners from London or going to London, do make your way to Camley Street Natural Park when it reopens. It's a wonderful, magical spot. I agree, yeah. And I, I wonder how you came across the Climate Coaching Alliance. I came across it because of my... Um, professional body but how did you come across it um i guess i've been um on a search for the last few years for that kind of sweet spot between people and planet and human potential and i actually first came across the earth Earth earth-based institute which was a real light bulb for me in terms of um ah it's not just me thinking this thing there's people out there that have been doing this a lot longer and that was really comforting and then and then looking more broadly found the work of the the Climate Coaching Alliance and and others like Charlie Cox and Climate Change Coaches and it seemed like well why not I mean this is this is what we've been waiting for I think for a long time and so a colleague of mine who's a, a coach who works on the Climate Coaching Alliance connected me up and uh, had the opportunity to lead a webinar recently for them so I kind of got involved that way. Mm. We'll mention that later I think. 
Um, but before we go on any further, I, I wanted to just pause to acknowledge the work that the three marvellous women, Alison Wybrow, Eve Turner and Josie McLean, have done in setting up the Alliance, because they've worked really hard with all the international professional coaching bodies. And their initiative with our professional bodies has secured an international agreement calling for the Global Climate Crisis Network for Coaches to create a space where we can learn and, and discuss approaches that both support ourselves and support our coaches to face into the climate and ecological crises. And the fact that the ecological crisis is involved as well, it's included as well, matters a huge amount to me. I don't know if it does to you. Um, and that's the Climate Coaching Alliance. And as I said, it's been very profound for me to, to join me with other coaches who want to bring and deepen our understanding of our interconnectedness with nature to their coaching. And you're one of them. So I'm delighted to have you here. Thank you. And um, even, yeah, even our, our very own Boris Johnson said that biodiversity and climate change are two sides of the same coin. So we've clearly got a, an opportunity here to, to, to engage people in, in both issues. And um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm grateful for what they do as well. So let's turn to your coaching practice and, and how you bring these two parts together, your coaching and connection with the natural world. How do you go about that? So I think I'll describe this start start with in some quite practical ways. I think firstly has been about educating myself about the role of the natural world um, and the, the relationship between humans and the natural world. And I'm not going to get into tautology of whether we are part of or part from or we are nature. I, I kind of agree with aspects of all of that. But just as we would as coaches educate ourselves in constellations or transactional analysis, so I think it's it, it, there's a lot that we can learn from the science of of how we benefit from and impact on on nature. So the first thing I think I'd do is is just some some reading and trying to educate myself. I think second thing is I've been doing is thinking about I guess my offer and my market and where I can make a difference. So who do I want to work with as clients in that nature and coaching space and and potentially what I can do to share learning with and learn from fellow coaches as well so that we can grow this niche, which at the moment, let's face it, is quite a small niche, but I think deserves to be so much bigger. And then thirdly, like all coaches should, I think, and Alison's work has been starting to ignite this, is um, thinking about our impact on the planet. And so, you know, what, is, what does our coaching business do for the planet? And there are things that I, I do through my practice now of retiring carbon credits from the global trading scheme and investing in projects that, that make a difference to global biodiversity. That, that is another way that we can make a difference, I think. And even those very simple things about, or well, not so simple sometimes, who's our energy supplier? Yeah. And, you know, what type of, of car, if we even have a car, do we drive and all of yeah. that? It all matters, doesn't it? Mm. I know that Active Hope, a book published about eight years ago by Joanna Macy and Chris Johnston, inspired you and the idea of the great turning that emerged from that. I wonder if you could say a little more about that and other sources of inspiration that have 
led and enabled you to develop a coaching practice that supports your clients to face into all of this? It's a beautiful phrase, that great turning. And um, it really struck me when I, when I heard of it. And I'd heard no more originally than just the title. And I loved that. And I think it, it links back to, you know, the previous age, the grandparents' age, perhaps, of the great, what they call the great acceleration, didn't they? And the atomic age, space, exploration and technology and so on. And I think um, the book talks about this idea of great turning being the essential adventure of our time. That was their time. Um, I think this generation is and the next are the critical ones to turn the corner and to a more just, sustainable planet. Uh, and so that's what it's about for me. And I think, and it ain't easy, but I think I'm driven by the idea that to pull this off, we need people who can be operating at their very best so that we've got a chance of making the biggest possible impact. And that's where coaching comes in. And coaching in all its forms is is wonderful when it's done well. But I think the nature part comes in for me around, um, and I mentioned the science, is, is, you know, what is it that connects us to our natural world and our health and well-being? And just to say a little bit more about that, because I think that's been part of my inspiration. I think the last, last few years has been a real groundswell of, uh, of research and science that has evidenced stuff that we've probably intuitively known for a really long time about how good it feels to be outdoors and communing with nature. Um, but but has, unlike, has uncovered a few sort of really quite clever things in the process, I think. So first of all, you know, we all know that just being out in nature is incredibly beneficial for us and nature is good for you. And, and it's funny that we, we used to know that probably in my grandparents' generation, actually, and, and sort of forgot it. And it's being reawakened. Again. And it's it's been reawakened because of COVID, hasn't it, in a big way? Absolutely, yeah. COVID's had a huge part to play. And um, the public consciousness of the value of their local green space has probably not been higher in since you or I have been working in, in environment for uh, I think that's right, all yeah. this time. So, so just being outside is massively beneficial. And we know that there's lots of coaches that do sort of walking coaching. And, and I'm not going to you know say anything negative about that just being outside offers benefit so we talk about you know the science talks about the benefit of sunlight we've known this since the egyptians benefits of fractals we've known this a long time the absence of urban sound and stresses that make us feel more relaxed and there's there was a classic study that that counted over 15 different morbidities diseases which are preventable by having time and access to local nature so First of all, encourage people to get outside. That's that's great. But then we've also known, ecotherapists in particular have known for a long time that actively engaging in the nature when you're out there adds another level of benefit on top of the things I just mentioned. And this is where I think the recent science has been really interesting. So Miles Richardson and Alison Pritchard and people like that, University of Derby, they've been able to demonstrate that um, connecting with nature and they talk about doing that through meaning beauty compassion and emotion all things that come up in normal coaching connecting in that way uh, leads people to not only um, have higher life satisfaction i think they counted over 50 studies now that show that nature connected individuals have higher life satisfaction and actually, so much of coaching is about how can I have more life satisfaction? <laughs> um, uh, but, but this is the kicker, really, is that 
people who are more nature connected are also more likely to take action for the environment. Indeed, indeed. And that's what we, that's what we want, isn't it? We want people who can be feeling over time, slowly, inspired and activated in terms of the choices they make, whether they drive or not or have a car or not, as you say, whether they do put the recycling out. Simple, simple things that we can all do that make a big difference. So people who are nature connected, they say, are up to twice as likely to demonstrate pro-environmental behaviour. And that, that inspires me. I think what I might add to that, actually, and I did this with, with my coachee today, and she's got some homework around this as well, um, is, is it enables people to come to become present, to, to notice very deeply, you know, with their eyes, to listen really acutely with their ears, which, you know, slows people down and, and enables them to become very present to the moment they're in mm. um, and stills them so that that increases their capacity to be present to others and to notice what's happening in themselves and what's happening for others. And I, I think that's a, a really uh, important function of being outside, in and with nature. And one of the things I've been doing um, since I did a, a lovely poetry workshop on weather is writing a poem every morning about the weather because I, I'm not a great fan of autumn I didn't like the transition from summer to autumn and do just doing that just noticing what the weather's doing and and capturing it if you have in some way has transformed my day it is and if I, I don't know if you're interested in the neuroscience of this stuff but there's mm. they say there's been work that showed that just 25 minutes of being in nature is enough to turn off that that noise in our prefrontal cortex and activate what's called the default mode network, which is our slightly slower, more creative, more meaning-making part of our brain. And what do we want as coaches if not creative thinking and meaning-making? I mean, that's kind of what it's all about. So why wouldn't, we do, why wouldn't we do that in a space that naturally lends itself to doing that kind of work? And it's what we want from our coaches, is that we want to support them to be able to, to access that part of themselves as well. Yeah. During my coaching training, and I'm presuming yours too, we were encouraged to set aside our own values when coaching and to sort of take a value-free stance as part of creating what's called the safe container for our coaches. And from what you've already just said about, you know, people being more inclined to take environmental action and so on, you're very clearly have a set of values about our human relationship with nature and the wider environment. And I'm wondering how, how you navigate that. What I might see as a dilemma between remaining value-free or not imposing your values on your coachee and yet holding, I'm holding both my hands out here, holding very strong values about the pro-environment. How, how do you navigate that? <laughs> uh, it's, it's a really interesting question. Um... I'm guessing where that comes from is that kind of person-centered philosophy and Carl Rogers, et cetera, and the you know the client's work is the thing and and I understand that and and i and I agree with that to a large extent. I think the work fails if the coach brings their own agenda and it's that that that's the topic it's not it's not the coach's stuff primarily, but I don't hold that coaches are value free, and I think. I don't, I'm not sure we can we can ever pretend to be. 
so I think there is a balance and there is a dilemma. How do you serve the client and their work whilst also serving the planet and, and thinking about other clients that may be around that, that person? It may not be the planet. It may be actually you know, values that that person's manager has or boss has or, or, or other people in a, in a system. So I think we have a responsibility actually to share what our values are as coaches. And I think this is where this, this movement is coming from, the climate coaching movement. And the kind, it's heartening to see you know, the ICF making statements about its role in, 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 in climate change, for example, and more recently its role in equity and inclusion and diversity. Um, so I think coaches are, are, less, are less now, certainly I personally anyway, I'm not speaking for coaches, personally I, I'm, I'm less about myself as, in, as sort of a, a neutral container and more as a as another human being that's role modeling the challenges of having values but also giving space for others to understand theirs i think that's a great answer um and i think what i'd add to that is is there's an honesty in stating up front that this is where you're coming from that that you you know part of what you're proposing as a coach um is is to potentially, if it arises, engage your coachee with this issue of, of the climate and ecological emergencies. I think that's one thing. And I think another point is that the planet's the ultimate stakeholder. Future generations are really, really vital stakeholders. And, and a concern for stakeholders and the impact on stakeholders is absolutely full square territory for any coaching relationship and is important to, to you know senior members or, or not even you know middle managers or whatever in terms of of how they operate in their organizations and businesses yeah uh, i agree and is that what you're seeing through your own practice yes and it's what i'm i'm hearing from other coaches um talking through the climate coaching alliance as you know as we have conversations around this mm. topic and you know there's almost it's it, what I'm hearing as well is that there's a thirst from from coaches to be able to to address this to be you know to be given permission to attend to it you mentioned earlier about the the presentation you did for the climate coaching alliance and in that, you skillfully compared how um, a personal crisis can draw people to coaching, per se, and how the global crisis is drawing people to nature and nature-based coaching. And you made a very bold statement in the presentation. And what is, I'll just quote you back at yourself. Nature-based coaching enables people to respond to global and individual crises by connecting people to the natural world. It transforms their capacity and capability to be their best selves and ignites action for people and planet. Now, you've touched on that business of, of igniting action, um, and we might come back to that in a minute, but right this minute, I'm wondering what what do you actually mean by nature-based coaching? Um, is it more than just coaching outdoors in a natural setting? 
Mm. Yeah, it's interesting here you play those words back and they were to some extent designed to be bold, yeah, and and provocative and see what people thought of this definition I was playing with. So it's been interesting hearing hearing observations. So I'd like to hear hear yours in a minute. I I think I deliberately used the word based. I am aware of other coaches that talk about nature connected or nature informed or working in partnership with or accompaniateurs to with you know to a nature client process or, you know and i think the idea of based was deliberately saying what if what if it was foundational you talked earlier about the planet being the ultimate stakeholder so what if it was just the foundation the basis for the relationship uh, and then then what would it mean and i think that's closer to what ecotherapists would do um, and I think coaching is still finding its way through that. So um, is it just coaching outdoors in natural settings? As I said earlier, I think we should all spend more time outside. So that's a, that's a good thing per se. And I think we should start there. If in doubt, start there and, and see what evolves for you and, and, and your clients. But I think if it's to be the basis and to be foundational, then I think it's something that can, can be part of coaching wherever coaching takes place. And so that might be more philosophical. It might be more conceptual. You know, it might be using metaphor, which is, an, which is a fairly obvious way that we can think about nature wherever we are. I think it's much easier to do it outdoors and more powerful, but we can use metaphor of nature working indoors too. So I think it's um, about a, a, a philosophy of coaching that is informed by nature as the basis and nature as that uh, nature as a client and so you you have more than one client in the room. It's interesting. We 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 don't often talk in coaching about contracting for the for the, for the light switch or for the, the the chair you're sitting in or the you know the smells that are coming from the kitchen downstairs. But all of those things, to some to some extent, you know, interact with the experience you have and are part of part of the the coaching dynamic. Um, so in the same way, how do we think about you know the step beyond that into the into the wider world. I'm not sure if this is making making sense to you. So tell me. Uh, yes, it is making sense. And what it's it's making what it's it's leading me to consider is, well, again, I go back to a, a session I had with somebody earlier, is inviting them to look out their window, and to to let me know. I mean, this was right at the beginning of the session, and and it was a it was like I was referring to people becoming present it was a way to support her to become present and to describe what she could see um and that that worked really well so i think i don't think we have to be in nature for it to be nature-based i think mm -hmm. it's about mm -hmm. bringing nature into people's beings and, and supporting that connectivity and the other thought i had hearing you speak is is um is the role of our imagination. So I've I've done some other work recently where I've invited a coachee to shut their eyes and imagine being in a in a clearing of trees and there's a path going into the clearing and describing going into the clearing and where are they in that clearing. And and there's something very profound about doing that with the imagination and bringing the, the, the natural world into people's beings through their imagination it can lead to some very powerful work 
I love that. It's fantastic. And we've got a fairly unique capacity as Homo sapiens to be able to do that kind of kind of work. So we should make the most of it. <laughs> Absolutely, we can. One of the uh, other things I wanted to touch on with you was that um, I'm wondering if, if you can share any examples of, of how your nature-based coaching practice has, has actually ignited coaches into action. Anonymized, of course, and, and what transformation mm. transformations have happened. Are you able to do that for us? Yeah, I'll... It's a, it's a really, it's absolutely the obvious question. So, well, I, I am a bit like that, I'm afraid, James. Asking, what's the evidence for this making a? <laughs> well, I didn't, didn't mean it. No, in a pejorative sense. But, you know, what, what's Where's the, your evidence, mate? <laughs> what's the evidence for what you're talking about, mate? <laughs> yeah, and um, it's patchy. <laughs> so, I mean, let, so uh, let me give you a couple of examples of transformations and then I'll talk a bit about this point about igniting action I think if you know for me a big part of my coaching is 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 transformation and that doesn't necessarily mean epiphanies <laughs> epiphanies are, are rare this is about shifts and shifts and changes that lead to new behaviors and actions right so I can think of a couple of examples recently with coach coaches one was just the other day we were coaching both of us outdoors in separate parts of the country with headphones on, um, which is how I work sometimes. And the client was struggling to articulate, if you like, their, their longer term goal or their longer term aspiration. And the word hope came up just out of almost out of nowhere, this word hope. And we played with that briefly and the client was struggling to articulate any options they had, any choices they had around around creating more hope for themselves. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw this kingfisher fly off. And bear in mind, this is in a marina on the seaside where you generally don't see kingfishers because there's no fresh water. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a huge surprise and a real moment of kind of awe, actually, just this incredible iridescent blue flash uh, completely unexpected and I just sort of gave a gasp and and shared this with the client said well as you were talking about hope this this kingfisher flew off and I described the situation and they said wow and I said something like well what does that bring up for you and it, they came up with this word instantly this word intuition now, I've got no idea why you would link a kingfisher with intuition necessarily, but the client did, and it stuck, and it became a turning point for that session. So there was something about, something about that moment in nature that wouldn't have happened if we'd been sitting in rooms together that, that, that created some kind of change or transformation for that client. And I wouldn't be surprised if that sticks into the next session as well. This idea of trusting their instinct became quite powerful for them. So, so perhaps that was about metaphor. Perhaps it was about... You know, just being outside, giving you a broader palette of metaphor to choose from. I think if you've um, heard this Hungarian um, linguist called Zoltan Kovacsesh, I think is how you pronounce it. And he found that I think three out of five of the most most used sources for metaphors for people are they're, they're more than human. They're about they're about nature or they're about 
physics and space or more about uh, physical objects. Um, so, so, so that was one example. Another one was Just before you part, you, you you depart from that one. I can quite get how your coach you responded with intuition because, and absolutely, it's about metaphor because kingfishers mm. are about diving in and finding something, and that's exactly I think what happens when we use and trust our intuition. We go in and find something. <laughs> you may well be right. Yeah. That's a lovely example. I'm curious as to how, and I know I'm sort of maybe taking your track a minute, but we'll come back. How you maintain your focus of attention solely on your coachee when there are, when you're at both outside, and when there are what might be called distractions. So you could describe, you could describe the um, the kingfisher as a distraction, although it wasn't. It's, obviously wasn't and you brought it in and you and it, and it became part of the coaching session but how do you manage that part of the relationship well I think contracting is important and I think contracting would include some stuff you wouldn't normally include in in contracting but then I'd kind of almost play it back to you and say how do you manage distraction full stop because you can still be in dark rooms and be distracted you could be thinking about your stomach rumbling or a noise outside so so to some extent it's a it's a different kind of distraction and i guess the question for the client is you know if it turns up how might we how might we choose to use it or not and maybe here's something here about it feeling like it was in service of the client and somehow useful to the client rather than something that was in service of me yeah i think i think that's a lovely way of putting it mm. yeah so I took you off track a little bit there because you were about to talk about another example. Oh, that's all right. And I think everyone, everyone who does any kind of coaching outdoors will have, will have examples like this. But this, the second one was just a client that was doing some work exploring values, assumptions and beliefs. And we were in Victoria Embankment and huge London plane trees. And so they used the, they used the tree in front of them as the, as the metaphor for all of that. And we were able to do fairly obvious but useful stuff about what was hidden and you know what was in the roots and and so on but so quite quite straightforward work in some ways but actually i think the value of doing it outside with with an actual tree that this person is likely to see again create create some kind of imprint and I know that that happened with this client because they, they came back to it again and again. And when we finished our coaching, six sessions later or whatever it was, they again referred to it. So, so that perhaps there's something about, yes, imagination, but the tangibility of, a, of an experience with something other than you in the natural world may well offer something more mm. like, somehow. And in, a, in an NLP language, it's about anchoring, isn't it? It's about anchoring a shift and a change. And I might be tempted to invite someone to maybe take a photo of the plane tree mm. to take to have back with them so that mm. they can they can remind themselves again, especially if it's some it's something that really needs some work to shift it. It can be really helpful to do that. Stones are quite useful for that, I think, picking up stones. <laughs> yeah, or drawing pictures. They can hold yeah. something. Mm. Yeah, all mm. of that. All of that. 
Yeah, so there's a couple of examples. And you asked me about the igniting action thing, and I think that's that's right. I think part, probably three things I'd say. I think the first is to, I kind of trust the science, and I trust that forging a greater connection with nature will lead to more action. So anything we can do that is time together in nature it can only be good. So that's the first thing. I think I'd trust that it would work. I think secondly, we need a we need a better evidence base for coaching full stop. So this isn't unique. <laughs> how do you create how do you evidence cause and effect on coaching being the the, the stimulus? Um, and you know, from your background, that's you know that that's a challenging thing to do. So so I think that's a that's a general point. And I think finally, I, I, um, I had a call that I arranged recently with some other coaches that work in this space and they're all in different parts of the world, completely different backgrounds and experiences. And, and they all agreed that it just felt intuitively right, but that no one could evidence it yet. So what we're going to do it actually is, is establish some research. So I, I do a before and after measurement scale with my clients that surrounds affect and use the PANAS scale and, and look at negative and positive affect. And, and that's great. And you can see a difference. So I'm going to start to think with this group about how might we bring in something perhaps like Miles Richardson's pro conservation behavior scale as a means of, of trying to identify where someone starts and where they end. But, but I'm also realistic about this. And, you know, if in six sessions, is, is that ever going to be enough to really turn somebody into, uh, into an environmental activist? But I think, but I think it's a definitely a contribution, and for all of the other reasons I've mentioned, I think um, we should be doing it anyway. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, um, and, and I hope I hope to keep in touch with you about how that research goes. I think I might I might be tempted to do something quite simple, which is say a year after coaching has ended, to get back in touch with people and just ask them a few simple questions about what's changed in their behavior. Uh, that's a lovely idea. And I was actually on a call this lunchtime with Rachel Wood, who's a nature-based coach. And I asked her this question um, about whether she measured impact and she suggested exactly the same thing. So that may well be a, a powerful and yet simple thing we could Much do. Much simpler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, those are great answers. Thank you so much. Um, one of the other things I wanted to check in with you about is I work I work quite somatically and do you know a lot of work that's very embodied with people. And it just strikes me that coaching outdoors and coaching with nature enhances the possibilities of of that kind of work. You know, inviting people to really check in with their heart as they talk about something, or check in with their gut as they describe a difficult relationship and somebody else. I wondered if you've if you've got any experience of of that kind of way of working with somebody outdoors and how different it might be. In terms of the somatics. Mm. Yeah, um I totally agree with you. Um I'm really interested in it. I wish I had um the money to go and spend a year in Sonoma County with Richard Strozzi Heckler. Do you know him? <laughs> yes, yes. Um and having read his books and attended his online dojo, I mean, he's he he's um, he's helped me think through this a lot. So, I think there's a bunch of things in here. One is 
you know, I think coaches can can do better work if we're acting from a place of being more centered. Um, and so, um, so thinking about our and how we're feeling and, and, and how we're turning up is important anyway. And I think that we could we can be doing centering that's visualizing nature. I mean, I do. I'm a surfer, and my 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 pre coaching prep is for the first is five minutes before the session to imagine I'm sitting on my board out in the line up in the ocean, and that's what that's what helps me center, and it brings it brings the environment. Lovely image. I can see you out there. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, I think the other thing about somatics is that um. And I think it's something that nature-based coaching offers is a chance to kind of reconnect with our natural child again, ah. and, and and a bit of play. So we um, we we you know we act out as you know anyone knows a bit of transactional analysis. We tend to act out scripts, and we're trying to find what what our adult should be. I think I think personally that some of that we can find out through rediscovering our natural child again, and. Just think about the the palette of senses and sensitivities you've got being outdoors versus indoors. Um, it, it's tremendously more accessible to be thinking about your your how you're interacting with that world around you, the smells, the taste, the the, the textures, um, and that's without even getting into the whole um, um, Michael Cohen's fifty four web strings or whatever they they're called. So so I think. Working out, working outdoors, um, definitely an opportunity to to get closer to to somatics. Um, thinking about how we embody the changes that we are thinking about in our minds. It's a bit like um, I'm labouring the point now. But I think coaching indoors is is fantastic anyway, and this is really about what could be even better. It's a bit like trying to do somatics or, or trying to do nature-based coaching indoors is, is all perfectly possible it's a bit like not having all of the not having all of the tools at your disposal and there's something i think in this about just giving ourselves every chance to do our to do our best work and give ourselves the, the widest palette and i think that's 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 what this does mm. and what you've brought to mind for me as you've been talking is 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 a sort of an inquiry i'll be having in the future about team coaching outdoors mm. so now i've embarked on on doing that team coaching which is which is uh, very enriching mm. challenging but really enriching but imagining i think i'm imagining how i might invite a team outdoors to um to find different approaches to how they engage with each other or how they operate as a team. And yeah, I can see that that's going to be a rich vein of exploration. Oh, yeah, I'd love to hear how it goes. Sounds great. Yeah. Well, we can't do it yet. Mm, you know. Yeah. This, this well. time next year, maybe. Yeah, it will. <laughs> well, that's brilliant. And thank you very much, much, James. It's been really um, lovely to talk to you. And you. You've given me a lot of food for thought, a lot of food for thought. And it certainly underlined my commitment to offer coaching outdoors to my coaching clients and, and uh, to join the ranks of nature <laughs> coaches. 
And I, I just want to say that if any listeners want to find out more about you and your practice, you're on LinkedIn, aren't you? And, and yeah. people can look, take a look at your website, The Natural Coaching Company. And of course, as with every episode of Coaching Conversations, there'll be links in the episode notes. And I know you've got an, an offer at the moment for anyone to get, who gets in touch with you through your website to um, give them a free guide to coaching with nature. Um, and that will have references to further reading in it. Do you want to say a bit more about that? Yeah, so it sort of came out of the webinar that I, um, that I led the other day. It's a short distillation, really, of some of the things that we've talked about today and a few others. You know, some of the, some answering the question, you know, why do nature-based coaching? What is it and how might it work? So it's not pretending to have all the answers by any means. And I'd love to hear from people who have different experiences, but hopefully it'll be useful, particularly to those that are starting out um, in, in more nature applied aspects to their coaching practice. So yeah, just re register via the website or drop me an email and um, I'll happily send you a copy. That's great. It sounds like an excellent initiative, actually. I'd like to keep, keep an eye on that one. Thank you. And for those of you listening to this podcast and who want to know more about this developing field of coaching, episode six of Coaching Conversations is with Alison Wybrow, one of the three amazing women behind the Climate Coaching Alliance that I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation. So please subscribe to Coaching Conversations through your podcast app or my website which is www.coachingwithintent.co.uk and share this episode with James and any future episodes through your networks because we need to spread the word about this and engage as many coaches and potential coaches as possible in this approach. Thank you, James. It's been a real, real pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely. It's been lovely. Thank you. Thanks for giving me the chance and uh, let's keep in touch. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to listen to future episodes, and there's one a month, please subscribe to Coaching Conversations either through your podcast host or via my website www.coachingwithintent.co.uk And please feel free to share the podcast with others in your networks and if you're inspired to, do leave a review. Thanks.